I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of The School for Dumb Women. As you absolutely must know by now, I'm your host woman, Hannah Varrell, and today I'm joined by Actually Does Yoga, Caroline O'Donoghue. Hi, Hannah. I like going upside down because the blood rushes to my head and makes me a smart smart. And misogynist shoe wearer, Alexandra Haddo. Hi, Anna. Yeah, this week I'm concerned that I want the whole of the new Adidas pink trainers range, but I'm worried that that means that I'm not a feminist. So today we're going to be studying chemistry, social studies and some good old gross biology, which is becoming as regular in our podcast as thrush. If that sounds like a lot, don't worry, you got through season five of Orange is the New Black. We're sure you'll get through this. So let's begin with Alex's biology lesson. What do you want to talk about this week? Hannah, Caroline, pleasure to be here. I would like to talk about hair, although now I'm wishing I've done a thrush. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, I'm talking about hair because uh, I change my hair a lot. I love my hair. I love messing with it and doing loads of shit with it, mostly cutting it off. But what is hair? Hair is fingernails, I've heard. It's what? tiny. <laughs> no, hair is Not made what from... <laughs> Salt, tiny fingers growing out of your hair. No, that's definitely a thing, though. Hair is made from the same stuff that fingernails are made out of, but fingernails are, like, thicker and hair is thinner. Yeah, now that you think about it, well, like, I imagine the inside of my body, right? I imagine, like, oh, like, you know, fleshy blood parts and intestines and stuff. Nothing that has the texture of hair. Like, where is hair coming from? Yes, exactly. That's why, when you actually think about hair, it's quite gross it's like the stuff that you sweep up on a pine floor I I always thought that hair this is probably where your fingernail theory comes from that hair is kind of dead matter yeah which it is but it's not your body trying to get rid of it it is your body it turns out I mean obviously what would you think is the primary reason for hair keeps you warm and catches sweat and protects you from rain correct they are all correct. Right. But according to my research, one of the main uses of hair is actually a sensory thing. No. Yeah. Oh, so, of course. Because like if whiskers. somebody touches your hair on your arms first, obviously it's very imperceptible for us. But hair on your head sometimes, you know, if someone brushes past you and they don't actually touch you, they touch your hair. Mm-hmm. Back in the day when we were all in a cave... That that would be an extra sensory thing, which would tell you that there was a threat or there was somebody near you or there's someone about to touch you. Oh, my God, I never considered that before. Yeah. And there's two types of hair. So the hair on your head is, is it's not useless, but it's not, uh, it's not alive. 
Whereas the hair on your body, you know, everyone has tiny hairs mm. on their face. Mm. That some more so than others. That's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plucking out a chin hair as we speak. <laughs> um, that's uh, it's still hair, but it's st- it's sort of functioning. You know, your hair stands on end. Oh wow! So it's it's sort of like they're a little alive men. But hair doesn't actually the hair's not actually sending information down the shaft of the hair into the follicle. No, that's it? right. It's it's more like the the vibration that is sent up the hair will eventually reach your head, and you you've got a lot of nerve endings where your hair is, and then that's you feel it in your skin, obviously. But it's the hair that sort of alerts the skin because it moves yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so you have you have two types of hair. Uh, you have <laughs> this is so funny. This is this is why the hair on your head people think of it as dead. That's a word that you kind of that resonates, right? It's because because it's called terminal hair. Oh, <laughs> oh God! Is it um, it's at the terminal of your body because it's at the end of your body, like a train station? Yeah, I guess terminus. <gasps> Is that what terminal means? Yeah, it yeah. Terminates. Because obviously, it obviously, we just like think of it as being deadly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's why a terminal at an airport because that's the end of your journey. Oh my god, I've never considered that before. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Okay. I wish they wouldn't call it that though, because for people that are scared of flying, it's like yeah. Yeah. terminal, <laughs> terminal five, <laughs> the last place you will ever set foot on earth. <laughs> uh, so that's called terminal hair, and the sort of little alerting guys on your arms and face and body are called fine vellus hair. Oh, that's pretty. Mm. Mm. Yes, and there's lots of different types of hair, but I researched that greatly and it was very boring and it turns out nobody knows why we've all got different types of hair. Really? Like yeah. why our pubes are different to our head hair, different to our arm oh, hair? Oh, no, I mean sort of like Afro-Caribbean hair, white hair, curly hair, straight hair. Really? There's like, there's no, there's no there, reason? I mean, there is, but there's, there wasn't a defining... Wow. Theory of why that's happened. I guess maybe it's so long ago since we've had hair. And we've it's got it's the only thing we haven't really gained. We've lost more and more as mm-hmm. time's mm-hmm. gone on. Oh, of course, yeah. We're like horrible bald mole rats now. We yeah, are. We are. So um I'm sure you're gonna answer this later and you'll just be annoyed with me for interrupting your flow. Why do the vellus hairs not grow as long as our head hairs? Mm. Oh, I actually don't know. Oh. I think it's because they don't need to. Because nowadays we don't have as many threats, so maybe they're they're smaller. So why is our head hair continue to grow then? Well, that's I think that's part. That's the only function where it has more warmth. Uh, oh, function. you can wrap it around yourself like a scarf because if it's you long. Do, you do lose like um thirty percent of your body heat through yes, your head. Through your head, yeah. So you probably evolved f- to have more hair on your head so that that heat doesn't escape. Oh, okay but we can make it pretty now in this day and age. I can't. I can't make my hair pretty at all. Um, so a, a friend of mine, she's trying to do one of those like really hipster crown braids where oh, you look yeah. like a bloody milkmaid. I saw that. Oh, yeah. You looked like, amazing. She, I said to her, because she's like one of these really noble, lovely types who thinks everybody's beautiful. And um, and she was like, oh, let me... I love that. We're not. <laughs> and we're not, Caitlin. Um, and she was like, oh, no, let me braid your hair. Your hair is lovely. Like, look, seriously, don't go into this because my hair is very, very thick. It's very short and yeah. it doesn't do things. And she was like, no, no, I can make it. I can do it. And then... And then the end result, uh, it looked like a sort of an Edwardian abortionist. <laughs> it's all, we it just, did. it didn't look remotely princessy at all. Is it kind of more mistrunchable than anything else? It really yeah. was. You know, it's one of those moments where you're like, everyone else can have nice things except for me. I can't have nice things, though, on my hair because it's so thin and it's so sparse. 
Like, I actually have very thin hair. I would love to do a Freaky Friday with you because I have such thick hair. <laughs> and I would love to know what it's like to feel air on my scalp. <laughs> Feels Let's pretty nice, head. actually. <laughs> I would love to do that. So that's what hair is. Yeah. Great. Short that's and sweet. What, yeah. That's what hair is. Why do you have eyebrows? They're fucking weird, aren't they? Isn't that to keep the sw- from the sweat from your it brow is. going into your eye? And eyelashes are the prime example of sensory hair because they're there purely so that nothing goes in your eye. Because you feel it before you see it. I mean, obviously you see it sometimes, but, mm. you know. I do think that's kind of amazing. Like, there's so many times when you're walking around, especially in London, am I right? And there's always some <laughs> building work and there's always some kind of, like, dust or sound oh, or yeah. something. Yes! There's so many times when there's, like, a gust of wind and you see this kind of, like, cloud coming towards you and you're like, for God's sake. But it doesn't get in your eyes mm. most of the time. Engage eyelashes! <laughs> do you know why... Um, because when I was younger, because I'm fair-haired, I had virtually no body hair at all. And I was like, la, 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 la. Everything was great. I like had my annual veet. Um, <laughs> but now, I mean, okay, I understand that like, you know, my hormones are working more and or whatever as I get older. And therefore I'm producing more body hair. That's fine. But like, why am I getting random chin hair now? Or why yes. am I getting random, really long nipple hairs? To quote Billy Connolly, what is going to happen to me in, in my later life that it's gonna, I'm going to need these hairs? <laughs> right, what are they preparing me for? Yeah, like are why they do... long and spindly? Why do old men get like such hairy ears? And how do they appear out of nowhere? Do they literally spring up in a matter of like two hours? They do, right? Yeah. Because you never see one that's like one centimetre. It's always three. I'm gesturing towards my nipples here. I see that, yeah. Yeah. Um, No, yeah, it's it's always just a fucking bumper crop out of nowhere. Yeah. I was once told something which I now believe to be a lie, um, which was that when you get a haircut and the bits of hair kind of fall out, if they rest on your skin for too long, like you kind of just sit and watching TV and you don't have a shower, they can implant and that's what those hairs are. That's not true. That's not true. I don't think it's true. Yeah. But I like a good hair myth. Back when I was dumb, I used to believe that. Interesting stuff. Don't know why we have pubes. That's a good question, actually. I didn't research that. And if anyone knows why we still have pubes... And why we have bum hair. Yeah, Like why? hair in our bums. Yeah, like why that area? Why has that area still been sanctioned off for full hair? Mm. Uh, I have... Um, I think I read something the other day about pubes and it was like the hair keeps the pheromones in so when someone sniffs your bits like a potential partner they're like oh I can mate that's cool it's a good theory I don't know how real it is that's a really great theory for supporting pubic hair though because I think there's too many reasons to get rid of your pubes these days and we need more to keep them I would argue that in today's society if you're already sniffing their pubes you're going to have to sleep with them out of politeness (laughs) it's true (laughs) you can't back out at that point So we all have hair and it's all horrible. Um, <laughs> let's move on to our Women Who Code Mixer. So last week we learned about cloud computing and how you can use clouds to download Theresa May to your laptop and then it's going to rain. Um, <laughs> this week we're learning about how that information gets to you with pull coding. What the hell is pull coding? I feel like I've been doing a lot of it You're recently. You're doing it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like you've been doing it less than usual. I feel like I used to hear about your pull coding a lot and now I Actually, only wake uh, up occasionally with a 3am message from you about your pull coding. Mm. I, yeah, I've, I've been less on the pull coding recently. I've, I've been in the monastery. Oh. oh yeah, just just doing real coding, doing things digitally instead. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've been doing a lot of solo digital work. 
for any men listening, that means wanking. So we all know God made Wikipedia for some women. Let me read you the entry. Pull coding or client pull, if you like to shit where you eat. Is, uh... <laughs> Isn't client pull just prostitution? Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice word for it, though. Yeah, yeah it's, it's good. good. Biblical stigma that yeah. way. Yeah. Okay, what's client pull? It's or pull coding or Alex a... or whatever. <laughs> Style of network communication, where the initial request for data originates from the client and then is responded to by the server. Vagina. (laughs) So when you Google vagina, you're pulling from the server and the server will be like, here's all these pictures of foofs. Oh, I oh totally my god! Get it. I, I totally get, get it. it! Oh my god! Fuck! <laughs> this is the first woman who code mixer. Why I really feel like the knowledge has been mixed into my head. Yeah. With is connected to the existing knowledge and created a cloud computer. Yes, we've learned something at this mixer before we all drink the free wine. Yeah. Mm. I totally get it. Let's uh, googling. And what's the opposite of a pull? A shove. Yes. The reverse of pull coding is push oh, technology. Push. <laughs> Where the server pushes data to clients, and that's when like a BBC News alert, for example, comes up, and it's like the pope is dead. What? <laughs> he's not. He's not. Okay, fine. He's not. Just for example. Oh my god! If the pope died, he's he's not. He's not. He's fine. never going to. Though. He won't. He's he God's chosen son. Yeah, yeah, he's got a deal. So yeah, that's kind of uh, all communication, pull requests, push technology, um, and it's just used on websites. Wow. So let's have a quick activity. Uh, what are your top tips for pulling? I'd say greatly exaggerate all of your achievements. Mm. Um, fall asleep in their houses. And then when you wake up, you're their girlfriend. Oh, good one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just quickly then to finish, let's have a short maths activity as well. No. Yes. I can't. No. I'm in my head. It makes my bum sweat. It's going to be okay. Okay. Thanks. How much pull coding do you think you've done in your life? I actually counted this the other day. Oh, how many client pulls did you I think it's around the early 70s. I'm talking about kissing. Right. You count kissing? Are you 12? Yeah, because I, I, I'm weird with lists. And I've never had loads of those nights where I've pulled, you know, like 12 lads or something. And my memory's really freakish. So I can remember everyone I've You have great face memory. That's true. Hmm. Um, Yeah, but Googling, I couldn't even tell you, Hannah. I think I made about 30 Googles today. How many is that over a lifetime? Wow, 300 million. Yeah. So Caroline's the best at pull coding. Yay! Yay! So let's move straight on to my lesson, which is chemistry. Um, I thought after Alex's lesson in episode three, if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it now um, (laughs) on how getting drunk works uh, was really interesting. But I wanted to look into another aspect of alcohol, which is fizz. Oh, yeah. I thought you might like it. It's uh, in all the best things and it makes you tingle in a special place. It, it does. really does. Yeah. And now that Prosecco is only like six quid a bottle, every day feels like a celebration. So mm. I've since our last episode on getting drunk, um, I've had many people tweet me about how I'm spending too much for fizzy wine. Yeah. And I just want to say I don't buy fizzy wine ever. I was making a guess. So shout out to my haters. <laughs> Oh my goodness, are you like one of those politicians that isn't in touch with the real world and you're like, I mean, I don't know, but it's cheap to just buy a £45 <laughs> bottle of Prosecco. <gasps> Loaf of bread, 10 quid, yes. yes. <laughs> Seems that right. That's exactly who I am. So as a child, I was a bit weird. I didn't like sweets. I just hated sweets. And I hated fizzy drinks. I hated the fact that when they went into your mouth, it was kind of weird and frothy and it mm. kind of feels like you're drinking nothing 
almost in some With ways. Spiky nothing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I also hated burping, and I did not really burp until I was about twenty years old. What? I haven't. I haven't burped in about twenty years, and I'm not joking. Yeah, I just couldn't burp. I didn't know how to. And because I never drank fizzy drinks. Did something happen to you when you were about 20? Because you also <laughs> said that you didn't like pee in the shower until you were like 20. I didn't know about peeing in the shower until yeah. I was 20, yeah. Like, were you raised in an attic with your brother or something? I had an awakening, Caroline. Okay. And I was hatched, age 20, <laughs> into the world. Exactly. So, yeah, so I didn't really like burping because I didn't really understand what was happening to me. So that put me off fizzy drinks even more. Uh, but then I got older, I turned 20, I discovered alcohol. Um, I overcame my hatred of fizz, and I am no longer a fizz phobe. Well done, oh. hon. Hmm, but I still don't understand it. So, uh, I wanted to get to know fizz better. <laughs> better. Uh, there is a party line on fizz. Can either of you and tell it, me what it is? I love how we say how we use the phrase party line know, yeah. on this podcast. Party! Um, there's a party line on fizz. Carbonated. Ding! She stole my answer. Fine. Uh, one point to Alex. But I couldn't tell you what that is. I just know the word. What, what, why do you think it's called carbonated? <gasps> they put carbon in it. In what form? Gas. Yeah. Oh. Carbon dioxide. Held up under pressure there, hon. <laughs> Thanks, hon. Um, That's it for me. I'm going to be silent now for the next hour. So fizz in things like Fanta and, you know, Coke and stuff is made by putting carbon dioxide into the drink. And they do that by literally just forcing it in at high pressures. And the liquid that they put it into is really cold. So there's kind of more space and the gas can dissolve into it easier. And then they just shut it into a can and uh, the gas kind of sits in there and it's like, oh, I'd quite like to leave now, but I can't. <laughs> And then you open it. A polite Englishman. (laughs) Like a horrible dinner party. (laughs) Uh, And then you open the can and the fizz starts to escape and the bubbles and that's kind of what happens. So when when a can of Diet Coke is unopened, if you could be in there, in theory, would it be flat? Oh, I don't know. Is it only is the fizz only activated when it's carbon dioxide? There wouldn't be bubbles. Yeah, there wouldn't be bubbles because the bubbles is the it carbon dioxide escaping and it can't yeah. escape. Oh my God. It's like Schrodinger's cat. It is like Schrodinger's cat. What's Schrodinger's cat? Schrodinger's cat was um, a sort of a physics theory that was like, um, if you put a cat inside a box with a with the vial of poison, um, then when while the box is sealed, you don't know whether the cat is alive or dead. So therefore the cat is both alive and dead. Right. Yes. I have heard of this strange thing before. So technically it's flat and it's bubbly. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's not really, not according to physics, but... They should use that as the Schrodinger's cat analogy because Schrodinger's cat analogy just freaks me out every time I have to talk about it. I didn't really understand why it was... I knew the concept, but I don't really exactly know how the cat dies, so I'm glad that you said that rather than me. Yeah, it's a weird It's a weird thing to come up with off the cuff, isn't it? I was going to say it was a cat and a gun, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> the cat went, and the cat stays there for millions of years to develop opposable thumbs. <laughs> and then pulls the trigger because his novel didn't get picked up. <laughs> Um, so my next question was, where did fizz first come from? Like, who decided I want to have a fizzy thing? Um, and it was from, like, fruit, obviously. So have you ever had a piece of fruit in the fridge for too long? It gets fizzy. Oh, it gets fizzy. I thought the answer was going to be Gatsby. Who's the first one to think? Fizz. <laughs> Bring it. I want it for my party. 120 <laughs> cases, please. So some things like beer are naturally fizzy and they get their fizz through fermentation, which is... Um, Basically, the yeast in the drink digests the sugar in the drink. And then by doing that, 
it produces carbon dioxide, which is the same thing as goes into fizzy drinks like Diet Coke. Does that make sense? You look confused. I have a question. Yeah, I think I get it. Why carbon dioxide? Oh, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That could be something that um, some smart men can tweet yeah, us about. Please do go ahead. I think it's carbon dioxide actually because it's soluble. Um, it dissolves into the liquid and then it will stay there until it can get released okay. when the pressure is released. Um, why does fizz appear out of nowhere? If you pour a beer into a glass, where does it? Where does the fizz come from? Ooh. I don't know because um, our last recording session we had to cut it for about 10 minutes because I dropped a beer on the floor. Yes. And then I picked up the beer and because I'm so fucking dumb, I immediately opened the beer can and there was there was foam everywhere and we had to we still have recordings of Alex <laughs> taking the mic while I clean up the beer. <laughs> Freestyling. Freestyling. Yeah. So I would love to know why that happened. Uh, I think I didn't actually research this. This is complete conjecture and unscientific. I have an arts degree. Um, But I think it's because when you shake it, you put energy into the can and everything gets all like hyper. Ah. And then it opens and it's like, oh. God, Fizz is so extra. Yeah. Shake it, girl. Shake it, girl. Get crazy. (laughs) So so when it's in... uh, glass a pint glass rather than on the floor here right um it forms on things called nucleation points which are tiny faults in the glass where there's pockets of gas so oh so oh wow so it doesn't come out of nowhere it has to have a thing on which to create a bubble and then the bubble goes up and okay so this might be complete conjecture oh, also that's why it comes up from the bottom of the prosecco glass yeah because it has to react <gasps> with it yeah yeah Okay, is it my imagination or do drinks go flatter quicker when they're in a plastic or paper cup? <gasps> they do. They, they do. do. Well, I'm not sure about plastic, but paper, I think so. Because things with rough surfaces have more nucleation points. They have more bits on which bubbles form. Uh, so, for example, if you put a bit of like a very porous rock into a glass, and I saw this on YouTube, mm-hmm. it will create more fizz than if you put like a marble into that same glass um in the same way you know the mentos and diet coke thing mm. mm-hmm. that when you put a mento a yeah. mento a mentos yeah i say mentos but i'm willing well, to accept any version yeah. yeah. never had one when you put one of those into a diet coke the reason that it goes mad and like spouts everywhere um is because mentos have a very rough surface so there's loads of nucleation points on a mento mm. and that's why there's so many bubbles and then the bubbles need to need to go somewhere so they froth out. I thought Mentos oh. were quite smooth. Is no, sir. T- tiny little porous things Sneaky bastards. Sneaky Isn't that interesting? Um, next on the list, why do you put fizz into a non-fizzy thing? Why do we like it? Oh, great question. Yeah. But I'm sure you're about to answer. Well, yeah, this was one of the weirder things I discovered about fizz. Um, so apparently one of the reasons we like it is because it's a bit painful. So the oh, way it works it is... is when, pleasure pain. Yeah. So when the carbon dioxide from the bubbles goes onto our tongues, it dissolves, it's converted into acid, and then there's a particular pain receptor that detects it and sends a message to the brain to say, oh, make this bit sharp. And then we're like, mmm. Maybe I like Ooh. it. Tickling. Oh, wow. So it's like BDSM in your mouth. Yeah. I guess so. Christ. Um, and so depending on the amount that 
the of carbon dioxide that's stimulating this receptor, it can interpret it as pleasure rather than pain. So if you had loads of fizz, you might be like, oh, it's horrible. Yeah, because sometimes when you open, when I drink a Diet Coke, sometimes the first sip like blows my head off and mm. it's not nice. Yeah. It's too much. Exactly. For my delicate tongue. Uh, my final question to the internet, which I'm going to relate to you. Why does fizzy water taste so damn bad? It's so oh, bad. So obviously bad. I'm so glad you. you said that because I know people who like swear by it when they're no. on hangovers. But it's, it horrible. tastes like farts in a jar. It yeah. tastes <laughs> like washing up liquid. Is that why is it so bad? Well, Caroline, um, <laughs> so <laughs> fizzy water is just carbon dioxide gas dissolved into water at a low concentration, the same way as is dissolved into a diet coke or a Fanta, like we were saying earlier. Uh, the acid gives the carbonated water a slightly tart flavour, which is the thing we were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. It dissolves on your tongue. It tastes sour. You're like, Bleh, because it creates carbonic acid. So the pH level of fizzy water would be between three and four, which is between like apple juice and orange juice in acidity. So quite acidic. Um, and then to counteract that, they put alkaline salts in it to reduce oh. the acidity. Who has marketed this Disgusting. demon drink on us? Horrible. The, the, there's so few bad things about going to the Mediterranean, but one of the shit things is when you go to a restaurant and you ask for water and they automatically bring you water with gas. And um, uh, it's just horrible. Yeah. Gas is. Yes, and gas. And uh, you end up with horrible fart water at your oh. fucking... It's terrible. So basically yeah. it's water with added acid and added salt neither of which are things that I want in water. No, fuck off with your jazzy water, it's shit. Final thing is, uh, fizzy drinks do rot your teeth, so everyone stop drinking them right now. But they rot your teeth because of the sugar, not because of the fizz. Oh, well, fine. Here's a question. So um, beer has fizz, right? But also beer is an incredibly old drink that was brewed by like monks in like the 12th century. If I went back in time and drank beer there, would it taste the same? Ooh, it would probably taste like a craft beer yeah. that you get in, like, Brewdog. Mm. You'd be like, oh, I spent five quid on this and it tastes oh, a bit like piss. I hate, I, I hate those beers that taste a bit chewy. They're horrible. Yeah. Oh, I hate beer. I Love hate a Guinness, beer. though. Mm. Yeah, Love oh, Guinness. Guinness. <gasps> really good fact here. Guinness bubbles taste kind of smooth, right? Mm. Yeah. Because they're made with nitrogen rather than carbon dioxide. What? Why? Because nitrogen creates smaller bubbles, therefore it's smoother on the mouth. I know this is such a fucking cliche because I'm the Irish person in the room, but Guinness is the best drink. It's so good, isn't it's it? It's so good. I don't like it. I don't like Have you anything. tried it recently, though? No, to be fair. The thing is, I, I tried it when I was like a kid, like, you know, having a sip of your granddad's pint or whatever. Yeah. And um, hated it. And then I, I had that sort of memory in my head for so long. But it's a bit like red wine. I think you just like realise as an adult that it's awesome. Okay, yeah. I'll give it another go. I think you should, yeah. Wow, that wow. was. I mean, you bigged up that your fizz lesson beforehand, and you know, props to you, Mama, because that was a great fizz lesson. Yeah, fizz is great. It is. That's all. Wow, that's not all. There's more podcasts. <laughs> hey. There's always more from now till the end of time. Wipe your tears away. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey. We have a really interesting one that we haven't done before, which is social studies. Yes. Caroline, please explain the context. I am your social studies teacher, and I'm here to teach the subject of Gwyneth Paltrow. Mm. Oh. So we said a couple of podcasts back that we didn't manage to create an episode yet without mentioning Gwyneth Paltrow. No, she is as ubiquitous as the Illuminati. <laughs> she... <gasps> ah. Don't worry, guys. I got a theory. Oh, okay. Um, so basically, I wanted to do two things. I wanted to... um essentially exercise our Gwyneth Paltrow demon in the sense I wanted to talk her to death so much that we'd never bring her up again. Okay. Oh, do we have a, like a penny jar for every, every, yeah, every, every time, time we, we discuss her in a future podcast? Yeah. yeah. Anytime Gwyneth Paltrow or Goop comes up, we discuss her. We have to and sit on the Goop stoop. <laughs> <laughs> think about what we've done. Essentially, I wanted to sort of think about why is Gwyneth Paltrow Gwyneth Paltrow? You know, I mean, obviously, you know, why is anyone anyone? It's a, it's a fairly uh, broad question. Um, but like, what, there are so many actresses in in the world. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I mean, when you think about what they are, it's just like tiny, beautiful millionaires. Yeah. Which we essentially treat like demigods and like magical creatures we actually have quite a lot of them you know there's there's you can you can probably name 20 without even trying mm. yeah and lots of them have businesses lots of them have weird beliefs lots of them have had lots of husbands or partners or whatever um why is Gwyneth Paltrow as like why is she as big as she is like what how has she become this like force and I'm not even saying this from like a like oh you go girl like feminist perspective I'm like I don't even really like her all that much I'm just fascinated by how that happened I think it's a combination of smug and ridiculousness and the way she truly believes the latter and embodies the former. Does she though? Because See, this is what I want to get into. Go on a talk show the other day and say, "Oh, I don't even know what they put on the Goop website." Well, I want to get into this. I want to start really early with Gwyneth Paltrow, right? I want to take us back to her roots, right? Her conception. Her conception, yes. So, what I find really fascinating about Gwyneth Paltrow is the same thing that I find fascinating about the monarchy itself. Because I I genuinely believe, I've got nothing to back this up other than my own feelings, that people prefer monarchies right because I think I think they, they, they obviously everybody will say that they don't everyone says that it's a stupid system but if you look at America right they 
you know, famously overthrew the monarchy during the American Revolution. But ever since then, they have tried so hard to sort of get their own people that resemble the monarchy. (laughs) Because I think, fundamentally, government is too hard an idea to imagine in your head. It's like all these departments that just fit side by side together and they all do their own thing and they all come together in this way. And it's, it's so confusing. So, like, if you think about, like, the Kennedys, why were there so many of them? And, like, the Bushes, why... Why do so many? Why were there two bushes yeah, in Brazil? It's, like, it's yeah. like a lineage. Yeah. Li- why think, is there a I first think, lady? Why is there a queen? It's because the first lady essentially does the queen's job, yeah. right? Yes. That yeah. is the function of the first lady. She receives all the people and is genial yeah. to different nations, while the president is supposed to get on with like work, or that's the theory. Um, <laughs> so I, I genuinely think that like. Americans have this sort of perverse longing to assign people monarchical roles. And I think Gwyneth Paltrow was one of the people who was assigned this role. And I think part of the reason that this is how she's become almost like this 20th, like this 21st century Jackie O in a way in America is that she actually, she comes from this place of very impeccable breeding. And I think anyone who like knows a lot of Americans or has been there, there, there is kind of a thing about lineage there and where people come from and everything. Because and they're relatively quite new. So um, Gwyneth Paltrow was one of these people who she, she comes from like a family, like her dad was called Bruce Paltrow and he was a kind of a producer, director, writer, kind of a big wig. He created this comedy show called Saint Elsewhere, which was like a black comedy sitcom that was quite famous in the 70s. Mm. Her mother was an actress, like a stage actress, almost in the kind of vein of Catherine Hepburn called Blythe Danner. And she came from like this big... She's also in Meet the Fockers. She's also in Meet the Fockers. (laughs) But but she came from this sort of very Philadelphia, kind of Mm. very pristine, very kind of Grace Kelly-ish a uh, big family where like her like her brother was an opera singer and her yeah. sister was a violinist and stuff and so this very you know famous stage actress with all the impeccable breeding and mm. this kind of guy who's making intellectual tv comedy for sort of the first time yeah come together make this beautiful blonde princess girl <laughs> yeah. that we know today as Gwyneth um she gets sent to all the best schools then she went to the University of California to study anthropology. Ooh. Oh, so she could have been our guest about feet. She could have been. She could have been our guest about Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> <laughs> she considers herself an adopted daughter of Talavera de la Reina in Spain because at 15 she spent a year there learning Spanish. Who is that a person or is that a place? Oh, it's a place. Fine. It's a village in Spain. But see, I think this is symptomatic of why people get annoyed with Gwyneth she's got so much time on her hands that she creates things to worry about and do that we don't have time for and then she tells us why we should do it yeah Mm. it's interesting isn't it but it's interesting how it's worked for her yeah I mean she's got millions and millions of fans yeah yeah I mean I actually Goop has a net worth of 140 million dollars Jesus and if you think about all of the celebrities who have started their things you know Zoe Deschanel had Hello Giggles Uh, Blake Lively had her she oh, had a similar thing. Strange Gwyneth like attempt, yeah. didn't she? And I think it shut within about six months. Yeah. It was called Jam. <laughs> sure, Jam. It was called Jam. Um, and it's it's like people have tried to do similar things a lot, but Gwyneth is the only person who has cracked it. Mm. But do people go on Goop seriously? Because as far as I can tell, people only go on Goop to make fun of Goop. I think it has two very distinctive clientele. Okay. I think it's um, people who are laughing at it essentially, or you know, people are looking for stories as well to just write because it is sort of a content factory because, yeah. because mm-hmm. of the patent ridiculousness of it. And then also 
the 1% of people who can afford the things that are on Goop because yeah. I think Gwyneth Paltrow has legitimately good taste in things probably like she, she it's, it, the whole thing started in 2008 because she a lot of her friends seem to be calling her all the time being like oh I'm in Milan where should I eat Gwyneth and she's like well <laughs> let me bring out my little black book and she found something um, and then she so she started a newsletter and yeah. then it just expanded from there and I was kind of I was essentially racking my brain for a long time about why why this works for Gwyneth and why it hasn't really worked as well for anybody else when she just kind of seems like anybody else in the sense that she's she's like a good actress who's pretty good looking but like you know I don't I think people I think it's a bit of the Victoria Beckham thing I think you either love her or you hate her but even if you hate her you're interested in her right Mm. so my theory for this is the following so up until 2002 um Gwen Paltrow had like a really good career. Like she uh her I think her ber- first big film debut was in Emma and uh she did Shakespeare in Love in I think it was 1999 and she got her Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. Um and then in t- she was you know she was she was dating Ben Affleck, she was dating Brad Pitt, she was kind of like She dated Ben Affleck. Yeah. Didn't know that. Very much so. She was very much like a starlet gal about town yeah. with some talent. Like, no more or less notable than, say, Hilary Swank or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but then in 2002, her father, who she was really close to, died. I remember that for And it was, it was, to be honest, I know it's very fun to take the piss out of Gwyneth because it's easy. But it really made me think like, oh... That sounded like it was really sad because she, she, even if you listen to her interviews now, she rarely goes an entire interview without mentioning her father in some way or another. You can yeah. tell, mm-hmm. she, like, it's like you and Jeff, like they were, I think they were properly yeah. close. Like um, he got pneumonia when she was in Tuscany with him and he, he died there with her. Oh. Um, and I was thinking, I think everything changed for her there. It's getting really deep. It's really deep. I I'm thought sorry. this was going to be the most fun one oh, ever. No. I'm cry. And now I'm like, Gwyneth! I know! I'm, I got so into Gwyneth today, guys. And it's all leading to my big theory on Gwyneth. Seriously, if we can imagine this whole conversation as being like red lines of thread in between different post-it notes. I've I'm, got it. I am getting there. This is going somewhere. This isn't just like the E2 Hollywood story of Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Um, so within like a year of her father dying she kind of she, her acting career gets very very quiet she stops doing projects as much She's because before that she was really doing a lot she meets Chris Martin three weeks afterwards and uh, after her father dies oh I did oh, not wow. know and, that and they have quite fast courtship and get married um, courtship yeah. yeah I sound like such a gossip columnist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or someone from the uh, 17th century yeah and then, you know, after that, sort of like she starts doing a little bit of food writing for various bits and pieces and she starts expanding her career. And I think what happened is two things. I think she started she started thinking about her legacy because her dad died. Uh, but I yeah. also think like she's so close to her dad. Her dad is famous for like black comedy. I think she starts taking the fucking piss. I think she cares about health and about wellness, but I also think it's kind of a joke. I, I did have a suspicion of that because I think one of the reasons that she's been in our, in our thoughts mm-hmm. <laughs> in the podcast recently is because she held a very widely mocked Goop convention, which was something like $2,500 per ticket. Mm-hmm. And it included um, talks like, you know, those classic things, but even more ridiculous, like how oh, to yeah. cleanse your aura from the dairy you shouldn't be eating, like stuff like that. Oh, yeah, I think she and completely I, gets it. And this. I think that is surely, 
it's a piss take. And I think yeah. maybe she's a bit in on it. Yeah, I think she's completely in on it. Like I even listened to a um, a interview with her for BBC World Service where the interviewer was really raking her over the coals, being like, "You're ridiculous. What's up with you?" And she was like, "Oh, sometimes I'll just put um, a fifteen thousand dollar golden dildo on Goop <laughs> just to see what happens." And yeah. she, she literally said she used internet language. She was like, "I just do it to troll people sometimes." And I was like, fuck. Um, so that kind of got me thinking even more. And I was thinking like... Gwyneth <laughs> just having a fucking Pinot Noir on a Sunday night being like, yeah, steam your fucking vaginas, go for <laughs> right? it. <laughs> like, do you guys know that um, comedian Andy Kaufman? Yes. He was you know, he um, was a very famous 1970s comedian who he didn't even care about making people laugh. He just wanted to get a reaction out of people. So like he would like um, go on stage and do 99 bottles of beer on the wall or he would like get into a sleeping bag and just fall asleep on stage. Yeah. And it, to him, it didn't matter about the joke or making people happy. He just liked the reaction and that fed him. And I think Gwyneth Paltrow was the exact same person. <laughs> like there are people who think that um, that Andy Kaufman is still alive. They think he's, he faked his lung cancer and died. And I think Gwyneth Paltrow is basically faking goop as a like an in, inward joke with yeah. herself. Like, God, let- I hope Jim Carrey plays her in 10 years time. <laughs> Um, like, let me read some actual Gwyneth Paltrow things that she said. Remember now, Gwyneth Paltrow is the daughter of a comedy producer and one of the most highly educated people in America. Okay. I would rather die than let my kid eat cup of soup. Moses is obsessed with hip hop and wants a gold chain, like his uncle Jay Z. <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard. Right, like his uncle Jay Z. I wonder if Jay Z knows that. Yeah. <laughs> Not even like his uncle Sean. Like, it's Uncle yeah. Jay-Z. It's Uncle. Who I've never met in real life. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes Harvey Weinstein will let me use the Miramax jet if I'm opening a supermarket or something. Does she do that? Oh, my God. This is amazing. These are jokes that you would write or I would write or anyone who writes jokes for a living would write. Mm. I think the reason that Gwyneth Paltrow with that goop works so well is because she knows it's a joke and she is pushing the joke to the absolute limit and because the joke is good content fodder it keeps doing well. So if she was just running a business that was just for the 1% it wouldn't work out because you can't really run an online business that way, right? Because yeah. mm. you need you need too much turnover on online business to make a profit. So 1% of her business is the 1%. 99% of people who are there for the gag but she knows it's the gag. And wow, this is amazing. Right? I'm looking at you with my head tilted with love for you and Gwyneth. <laughs> Gwyneth is my spirit out of She is. Basically, here's my conclusion. Gwyneth Paltrow is using humour to do something she cares a lot about. She's taking the piss out of herself, but she's also serious about it, which is exactly what this podcast is. Whoa. Hannah, your hand is up. Which bit of it does she care a lot about, though? I think she legitimately cares about health and food. Yes, that's. I think that's true. Do we know why it's called Goop as well? Her initials plus, ooh, it's a joke. Oh my God, Gwyneth's a fucking comedic master. She's a mastermind. <laughs> and she's even playing the joke on the other models that were at the Goop convention because there's Miranda Kerr there who's got like her Cora Organics and then the Jessica Alba who's got some kind of other organic billionaire business. Yeah. And they're all like, oh my God, yeah, just rub this walnut tears on your ass and you'll have a great right? time. And Gwyneth's just like, fuck you all, I, I completely believe this is what it is. I think she completely lives for the reaction so while and while someone like Blake Lively will get like you know bad feedback on her nice website she'll be yeah. like oh shucks I'm just trying <laughs> but Gwyneth Paltrow is like brilliant I'm fooling you all I am the royalty of Hollywood 
bow before my feet. I'm the queen of the universe. And that's why she got on with Chris Martin because he seems like quite a sort of dry sense Right, of because he's like, playing a joke with Coldplay. Yeah, he he's is. just like... <laughs> the ones that say they like music say they hate Coldplay. The ones that say they don't like music love it. Yes. It's fine for everyone. So um, I want to ask, now that we've come to the end of my Gwyneth segment, when someone takes the piss out of Gwyneth again... Are you going to defend her or are you going to just take the piss? I'm going to say Gwyneth Paltrow is the absolute queen. You don't understand the half of her. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to slight... I'm, just, I'm, I'm Gwyneth now. I'm just going to smugly smile and say, you don't understand. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't And I'm it. just going to get on with my day safe in the knowledge that I know Gwyneth. This is truly the most groundbreaking piece of work you've ever done. <laughs> I know. I'm a very good journalist. <laughs> <laughs> So we're going to end today's podcast with a smart lesson on a subject that as a smart woman you should have probably been aware of and doing since the age of five. That's right, it's mentoring. Ah. Yeah. If you're a smart woman, you are contractually obliged to help other smart women climb things, such as mountains, men's faces and ladders. (laughs) (laughs) Your mentee should idolise you and ideally you should either be so famous that it's all for show, such as, oh, I mentor a lot of young women, but actually you're like... I phone it in two <laughs> two times a month. I have a team of staff that mentor them. Yeah, like a sort of X Factor mentor, you know, where you're like, you don't even know this surname. <laughs> uh, or you should be not that much more successful than the people you claim to mentor and really you're just trying to do it to elevate your own status. Or your own ego, really. Yes, it's an, e- yeah. it's an exercise in ego. So it sounds like we're quite familiar with mentoring, uh, but just... To make sure, let's practice with an exercise from the Smart Women Workbook, Chapter 5. I'm turning to it right now. I've turned to it. Scenario 1. A made-up character that we shall name Caroline, played here by Caroline, has done an online shop and ordered 15 kilos of meat. Her freezer can only hold 3 kilos because it's full of frozen peas which she uses when she smacks her dumb head on door frames. What would you mentor Caroline to do in this situation? I just want to say, I I didn't like accidentally do this. I... I did do it, like, on purpose. Caroline, are you using this podcast to iron out your real-life issues? Yeah, a little, yeah. Yeah, I ordered 15 kilos of meat today. But where's it going to go? Don't know, mate. But all I do know is that I logged into Pure Gym to book a gym class. Didn't do that because there was a new partnership that Pure Gym were doing with a meat company. Oh. And um, they were like, oh, so basically... <laughs> You're a marketing fodder. I know, I really am. Like for someone who worked in marketing for so many years, I shouldn't be so vulnerable. But I basically have like 50 pieces of meat for 40 quid. What would I mentor Caroline to do in this situation? Eat that meat. Say, you know, okay, first of all... Take a breath, okay? You know, the best part about biting off more than you can chew is that there's always more for later. And you can take that later, you can put it into next week, and put your dreams there, you know? And uh, take a long lunch. (laughs) I think for any listeners, we should say that dreams, in that uh, analogy, meant meat. You can put your meat Mm. into next week. Put your meat into Mm -hmm. next week. Freeze it. Um, just keep believing in yourself and don't beat yourself up because there's only one you. Mm-hmm. And you should love you. Even if you has just ordered 15 kilos of meat when mm. you stupid dumb you stomach. You take only. one down, you pass it around. 14 <laughs> kilos of meat on the wall. <laughs> okay, great solution. Scenario two. 
a made-up character that we shall name Hannah, is having problems telling her left from her right. How would you mentor Hannah in this situation? Oh, how would you, Hannah? I mean, to be honest with you, you just got to keep believing okay. in yourself. Okay. A, Follow your dreams. A made-up character that we shall name Alex, who is played here by Alex, has thrush, but can't work out how to make it stop because Siri keeps thinking she's saying thrust. How would you mentor Alex in this situation? I think that the thrusting probably got Alex into the thrushing. <laughs> and I'd say maybe do some safer thrusting. I, I don't like the implication here that you get thrush from sex. I've never gotten thrush from a sexual encounter. I just get it because like I've sat near a radiator or something. Or <laughs> oh, spent, yeah. spent too long in a wetsuit or something. Absolutely, but I think that the closeness of someone to you that might be in you maybe creates the, th- the thrush environment. But it's not direct. Maybe the answer here is that everyone is special everyone gets special thrush in special ways right and that you are um a unique person and no one can tell you otherwise except me your mentor okay well i mean that was some top-notch mentoring uh i think those fictional dumb women will, will be very motivated to be their dumbest selves now i think so too i'm proud of them and us mostly me well, that's all we have time for on this week's School for Dumb Women, as we're not legally meant to keep you past 3pm. If you didn't hate being here, please rate us on iTunes and give other dumb women a heads up, which means tell them, about us by sharing a link or tweeting about us with the handle at dumbwomenpod. Not a real handle. No, don't open anything with it. <laughs> Thanks, as always, to Gavin Day, who talks for making our logo look pretty. To Harry Harris for giving us lovely noises to talk over and to Soho Radio Studios for letting us fill their microphones with our mouth fluff. Please join us again next week on our long and arduous journey to becoming smart women. Bye! Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.